This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, there were a bunch of fights that were reported yesterday and even today. I'm going to give you a power ranking of which ones I think are the best, and I'm going to tell you why. Laura Senko joins the show to recap last night's Contender Series episode. And as we do every Wednesday on the show, we dig into the mailbag. We'll get to some of that here as well. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about that mailbag, Show at gmail.com. All right. Happy Tuesday to you. Tuesday, excuse me. Happy Wednesday to you. Sorry. I, uh, I actually didn't sleep terribly last night. But um, I'm still catching up because I had a horrible week last week in terms of uh, sleeping hours. Um, I, I think he's a little bit busy with other stuff here. If not, he can say hi. Cobb is back from vacation. Cobb, are you uh, sufficiently recovered from your hangovers or still nursing those thingies? No, finally sufficiently recovered. The alcohol, I think, is completely drained from my system. How many showers did you have to take before you smelled like bush light? <laughs> Before I, I should smell? say, stop, stop, stop smelling like bush light. Probably all of them from uh, from when I yeah. came home midday Saturday to today. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, we'll talk to him about that a little bit later in the show. For now, though, this is where we start. And again, if you want to get on the mailbag, you still have some time. Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com. Do not email me personally about that. If you want to email me personally for anything else, you certainly may, but don't email me personally for that. Email the show. Luke Thomas show at gmail.com. Okay. So with that in mind, I mentioned to start the day's program, we had an absolute slew of fight announcements. And we're going to do a bit of a power ranking here in terms of which ones are the best or we like the most. Just where, you know, our excitement meter or something like that. But let me tell you what they are first. Um, and I'll give you the cards that are on here in just a minute, but let me just get through them here pretty quickly. Well, UFC not wasting any time, you know, moving these divisions along. I got to tell you, they're humming along, man. They're humming along. They're making it all work. I'm really happy to see it, you know, uh, given that the rest of our uh, institutions in this country appear to be collapsing all the way around us. But UFC still running a, a pretty tight ship. So I'm going to give it to you, not so much order of date, but order of weight class. And I'll give you the cards that are on here in just a minute. But first things first, uh, a heavyweight bout has been booked between Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis. Something of a uh, foregone conclusion, not totally, but something of a foregone conclusion because A, Blades have called him out. Uh, he's coming off of a win over Volkov. Lewis, sort of ready for it. He's coming off of a win uh, over Olenek. And, uh, and they're kind of close together. In the rankings, now it was kind of interesting because Lewis still technically holds that win over Francis. So you thought maybe there might be a chance, but I think they want to give that title shot to Francis. So, okay, here's what it does, though. If you're going to put Blades and Lewis together, which in many different circumstances makes sense, you still don't exactly know what's going to happen with John Jones. Because John Jones is now going to go to heavyweight, but... You've got three players up there he could potentially fight. I mean, are they going to really have him fight Rosenstrike? That doesn't seem that doesn't seem right. So maybe he'll fight the winner of this fight. You know, I don't really know what they're looking for here, but it leaves Jones and Ganu and Stipe. I don't know exactly how that's going to be resolved, but certainly this fight in 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 a variety of capacities makes sense. Okay. 205 pounds. Well, it is now official. John Jones has moved on from the weight class and is now going to heavyweight. At first, we didn't know that. But then he said later on, no, no, no. Apparently, I had a conversation with UFC and it went very well. And uh, I'm going to be moving on to heavyweight. We don't know when and we certainly don't know against who. But that means that for the first time since 2011, someone other than John Jones or Daniel Cormier will be a UFC light heavyweight champion. That bout is going to be, by the way, I know this one for a fact, is going to be in that UFC 253 card as the, I think the co-main, believe it or not, to Adesanya and Costa, which is funny. What the UFC typically does is make the heavier weight class the 
main event. But I don't know how you put this one above Adesanya and Costa. That's one of the most important fights of the year. <coughs> Excuse me. So it looks like that's going to be the, the co-main event between Derek, excuse me, Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovich. That's going to be the winner of that is going to be your next 205-pound champion. Dominic Reyes or Jan Blahovich, and it's going to be in about a month. I think actually um, not far from a month from today, about five weeks from today. Pretty pretty interesting in that regard. Then at middleweight, you had a fight announced. I think this one will take place in October. Anderson Silva is going to fight Uriah Hall. Now, Uriah Hall was supposed to fight a series of opponents with some big names this year, and they've all kind of fallen apart at the last minute. I think Silva has two fights left on his deal, this being one of them. We'll talk later in the show. I totally get that fight for Uriah Hall. I think it's a great opportunity for him. What on earth is the opportunity for Anderson Silva? Just to fight some dude who's still young and like ranked? Is this a real path to a title shot or something? I don't think that's true. So I don't really understand that fight from Anderson Silva's perspective. Um, I totally understand why he wanted to fight Connor, which I didn't necessarily love that fight, but we talked about it before. If it was going to keep Connor active, then I don't see what the problem with it is. Again, we'll, we'll have that conversation a little bit later in the show. All right, so that's heavyweight, light heavyweight, and middleweight. Let's go to, to welterweight. How about Robbie Lawler versus Neil Magny? Robbie Lawler is going to fight Neil Magny. Now, I, I, that is such an interesting fight because Neil Magny has unending cardio. And it's not like Robbie has bad cardio. That's not true. In fact, he has pretty good cardio. But I can see that the volume style that, Cody, uh, excuse me, that um, Colby showed us against Robbie Lawler, you know, understand Neil Magny and Colby Covington are very different fighters. But if they, if, if there is a through line between them is that both can put a pace on you. And when they do, it's not like each shot is overwhelming, but again, sometimes your basement can flood from a hurricane and sometimes it can just flood from the ordinary rain. If it rains long enough, those, what those guys are just rains long enough to finally get to where they want it to go. So that'll be an interesting fight. What is really left of Robbie Lawler at welterweight? Where is he really going to show us to be? That's not quite as far gone as the Silva and Hall fight. I think Silva's going to be 45 coming up here pretty soon, but we shall see. Um, let's skip lightweight. Actually, we'll stay at welterweight. I think we'll skip lightweight. Uh, Diego Sanchez is going to fight Jake Matthews. I think that's going to be in that 253 card as well. But I got to tell you, that is a difficult fight for Diego to win. Now, it's going to help him a little bit that Jake Matthews is a grappler as opposed to, you know, a guy who can just have, you know, sensational takedown defense and, um, you know, ability to like knock you out in the feet. Although Jake has a good stand up as well. But so he's accommodating in that way. But man, Diego Sanchez is hanging on to dear life with his UFC contract at this point. And uh, this might be the exit, uh, not the, the fight that helps exit it, but certainly that ushers it along. And then last and certainly not least, in fact, this might be your favorite fight on the card. Uh, Korean Zombie and Brian Ortega is official, I believe also for October. I'll get you those cards here in just a second. So that fight has been announced. And that has got to be... Well, you would think a number one contender's fight, certainly for Zombie if he wins. But Brian Ortega hasn't fought in two years, and his last fight was a title shot where he got absolutely shellacked by Max Holloway. Would he get a title shot if he wins? I mean, maybe. I don't know. You would imagine if Zombie wins, he would get it right because he's been on a hell of a win streak. But it's not exactly clear what Ortega gets here. I mean, it'd be a hell of a win, and they might just do it, right? They might just throw him right back up there. Who knows? But uh, that is a grudge match. That is, a, I mean, everything and then some that fight has. Man, I got to tell you, outside of the Sanchez and Matthews fight, which is by no means a bad fight, but outside of that, it is nothing but absolute barn burners or at least interesting fights for the division or, you know, ones that are in many ways historic. If you're looking at a 205-pound title fight. So here's what I want to do if possible. I'm going to rank these from fights I like the most 
to I like the least. And understand, just because I like it the least doesn't make it bad, right? That's not what I'm suggesting to you. I'm just saying, you know, which one do I want to see a little bit more? This is not a ranking of importance. This is not a ranking that you necessarily have to agree with. In fact, if you disagree, I would love to hear from you. That's not what this is about. This is merely about um, just what I like, what I think is cool, what I think is fun. All right, so with that, I'm going to go Zombie Ortega as my number one. That, to me, you've got Grudge Match. That, to me, you've got you know two dudes who are um, top of their game, you know, near the top of their game. I think if Zombie wins, for sure he gets a title shot. I don't really know about the other ones, but for sure he gets it, right? And if Ortega gets it, I mean, dude's been gone for two years and, you know, wasn't suspended or anything, just had bad luck and injuries and everything else. You know, there's big questions about what's left for him, and that one just has interesting fight written all over it. So I'm going to go with that as my number one. As my number two, I'm going to go with the 205-pound title fight. I'm going to go Reyes versus Blahovich. And the reason why is these two guys don't have the biggest names, and it's not much of a grudge match, but I do think it's going to be a good fight. I do think Dominic Reyes defeated John Jones. Uh, he's still young. Blahovich, by the way, not very young, 35 years old, but, or maybe 36 at this point, massively improved. You know, I've slept on that guy completely, and I'm guilty as sin about it. He has really, really transformed himself into a very, very talented fighter. And so with that, um, you know, is deserving of respect. He earned this title shot. There's just no denying it. So I thought Reyes deserved the rematch with John, but John's not going to be there. So this is the only fight to make. These are the right stakes. Should be a hell of a contest. Looking forward to seeing how that division moves on. After that, you know, mileage is going to vary a lot with this. I'm going to go. Hmm. And these are just personal rankings. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Blades Lewis. Now, that is debatable for probably a lot of you. But the reason I'm going to put that three for me is it's either that or Lawler versus Magny. And the reason I'm going to say Blades Lewis for me is, you know, Blades has a lot to prove here. You wonder, I think someone called in yesterday and said they wondered if the UFC was feeding him to Lewis because they want him to lose. Not that Lewis has the best, you know, takedown defense, but he's got big power. Francis has stopped him twice. Maybe Lewis could do the same. Um, you know, it's got wrestler versus striker on it. It's got, uh, you know, uh, Lewis is kind of, for me, appointment viewing because win or lose, he's going to be fun to watch. So I'm going to go with that one. Plus heavyweight stakes there. If Blades wins, it creates some complicating factors about how to go forward. If, if Lewis wins, I think you've got a ton of fun fights for him to make um, above that. So that will be a kind of interesting. So then... I'm going to go for my power rankings. I'm going to go Lawler Magni after that. To me, this is a very faded Lawler, uh, which isn't to say he's not good or can't win or is not dangerous, but he's just not what he once was. And Neil Magni, I think, is still getting better, still ironing out the pieces of his game, still putting everything together. And so with that, it, it's, a, it's a really smart matchup. Could have gone three with this one on my ranking. I think three and four are pretty close to interchangeable on my list. I just don't have the same, uh, you know, Lawler kind of quiet, Magni kind of quiet. And Lawler's quiet w was good when he was, you know, hulking out and raging on people. But that, that seems to be in shorter supply these days. So that would go four for me. Then I'm going to go Anderson Silva taking on Uriah Hall. I actually like the fight. I think it's fine, maybe even good. And I really understand it for Uriah. I think that's a really, um, that's a big opportunity for him. You know, he has changed camps. He seems to have gotten things together. He had some big names lined up for him this year, and they all kind of fell apart at the last minute. And now he's going to get another big name. If he wins this one, striking affair, it's not like you have to worry about the guy taking you down, you know? 
I'm not sure how much value there is left in beating Anderson at age 45, but there is some. If he gets that, it's a great it's a great boost for him. Um, if Silva wins, I'm not saying it's not a good win. It's a great win, but where does he really go from here? He's got two fights left on his deal. They're not going to give him another title shot. It's not like it's no. There's no. It's it, there's value to it, but value to what end? Is sort of the point I'm I'm making. It's like we already know his bona fides. He's the greatest middleweight ever. They're not going to give him a title shot. Why would you fight a guy like this? I, I, that that I don't I don't quite get that. And then last but not least, uh, I'm going to put Diego Sanchez versus Jake Matthews there. Sanchez kind of hanging on to the UFC here by a thread. A lot of controversy about who he's trained by. Joshua Fabia, a lot of controversy about what he has left, a lot of controversy about, I don't know, you name it. Um, that last fight where it was perceived that he quit, where, you know, he's got a lot of questions he has to answer. Jake Matthews, maybe not the prospect we thought he was going to be, but certainly um, better. I think better than the worst outcome it could have been. Because right, there was a while there, I was like, he's not going to turn into anything. Okay, he's better than that for sure. But uh, he'll get a big boost up in, in name value um, if he gets this win over Diego. So th- those are my power rankings. Zombie Ortega, Reyes Blahovich, Blades Lewis, Lawler Magny, Silva Hall, and then Sanchez and Matthews. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on SiriusXM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts. A new season of Dana Weiss Contender Series is off and running. And the Luke Thomas Show knew exactly who to turn to for a weekly recap. It's the one and only Laura Sanko. Former fighter and roving MMA reporter Laura Sanko is ready to break down all the action from the show. Your segment names are fire. If I'm going to do this on a regular base, Luke, I need a segment name. She asked for it. She got it. Here to recap all of Tuesday night's fights. This is About Last Night with Laura Sanko. All right, season four, episode three, last night on ESPN Plus. The host of that program joins us now. It is the one and only Laura Senko. Hi, Laura. How are you? I am doing great. I just touched down in Kansas City, so uh, I'm still at the airport, but I'm home, ready to rock. (laughs) All right, let's do this. So the first fight on the night, Kenneth Cross defeating uh, Kevin Seiler, 30-27 and 229-28s. Cross, Cross wins, but does not get the contract. You know, I felt bad for him because he's sitting there by himself in crutches, no less. But I, I had to agree with Dana. It's like you, you clearly showed a lot of ability. But that was one of those fights where he seemed to win, Laura, yes, on skill, but a lot also on athleticism and just being kind of aggressive. Those are valuable things to have, but that's not the same thing as UFC readiness. Yeah, I thought he did a good job of, of being busy. And like you said, he clearly showed that he's got some really interesting techniques. He threw some some cool stuff. I just, there was, there was maybe a little bit of a lack of polish. And possibly, you know, you could chalk that up to the gas issues that he was clearly having. And you could probably chalk that up to the fact that he didn't have to cut weight uh, twice in a very short period of time. So I would love to see him on again later this same season if that's a possibility, um, and maybe we'll see a very different fight from him. And if we don't, then maybe we know our answer. But I, I do, I, yeah, I, I, man, I hate, I hate that moment when I'm talking to Dana and he's saying things and he's saying things and I, I get the sinking feeling in my stomach and like, because I can see their faces on the monitor in front of me and it just, it sucks. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it certainly is. And the, the weird thing about the Siler brothers is like they're clearly talented. They, they actually seem to have often more skills than their opponents, or at least they can match them. But both of them, both of them, like, you know, they've not seen the inside of a weight room anytime recently, it appears. And then the other part, it's like, they don't have that urgency. Don't you, I don't know what it is that both brothers are kind of like that, but they seem to suffer from the same problems and have the same good parts about themselves as well. Why are brothers in MMA kind of like that? 
Well, I think if you you know you spend a, your time around a certain person, or, or maybe maybe some of it's genetics, but it's just it's sort of the fight culture that you are that you are around the most. But I when I see someone do that, and I see it's interesting that he comes from such a great gym. He trains at APT because I think sometimes when you are earlier in your career or in situations like this, he's not that early because he's 10 and 0, but in situations like this where you almost have to fight a little bit less based on skill and more based on uh, will and aggression and, and being in the moment, it almost is a disservice when you spar with people who are such, such excellent technicians because you, you, you play a technique for technique game. You are taught to be patient and composed. And while those things are good on the show, they're not the most important things on the show. So I think sometimes you're gonna you're gonna get outshone by someone who comes out wild sometimes, even if they're not necessarily better than you are uh, in technique wise. And yeah, when I looked at him, I thought, okay, I'm glad that you didn't miss weight this time, but I feel like you look like a featherweight, you know? Right. Totally. We move on to the heavyweight division. Josh Parisian defeating Chad Johnson. Same name as Ocho Cinco via TKO 343 of the first round. So to me, no issue with Josh Parisian. Won twice now, I believe, on the Contender Series and was on the Ultimate Fighter. Clearly better than Chad in every way. Here's my only issue with Chad. Nice aggression, but even if he had won, there is no chance he was UFC ready. So I think Josh is... Uh, and I guess that it's the accumulation of the resume for him that puts him in there. Still, who is Chad's manager being like, yeah, you're totally ready if you win this fight to be in the UFC? I would not have recommended that. Also, why are you not fighting at light heavyweight? He weighed in at right. 215 pounds. And when I went back to his record, he typically weighs in around 220. And I'm not saying he had a ton of cut or a ton of weight to cut. He was pretty leaned out, but I would, Imagine that if you weighed in at 215, man, there there might be some, there might be 10 more pounds there uh, that you could find and, and possibly have a very different looking career in a different weight class. Um, he showed when in the film I saw of him, he does have some good stuff. He's got some huge uh, blast double legs, you know, big big tosses. Like he does some really impressive things in there. But you're right, it was just a situation where the experience. And the 50-pound weight differential uh, was not a recipe for success. All right, so this next one was the most interesting one by far, Laura. Uh, I, I, tell me if I'm pronouncing the last name correctly. Is it Kosi? Orion Kosi? Yes, yes. Okay. Yep. So Matt Dixon rolls up in there, and as Ben Folk says, looks good getting off the bus. I mean, chiseled out of stone, undefeated amateur record, undefeated pro record, and early on looked to be the real deal Holyfield. But boy, if this wasn't a lesson in it, once you get to this level, someone is going to put it on you. And when they do, how do you react? His gas tank was not there. I actually think Mac Dixon is a very talented guy, but the grit and determination of Orion Kosi was impossible to ignore. I loved what I saw from this guy, but I'm curious to know what you think the future is for Matt Dixon. Oh, I think he has a very bright future. And it was interesting because we were, um, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this, but we make, we make friendly uh, wagers in the, in the production room and certain people are really high on certain fighters and we kind of argue about it. And I won't tell you who is for whom, but we were kind of split on this one uh, big time really. And, I think that uh, just on film study, Matt Dixon, to me, was probably the mo most prepared, most put-together prospect on this entire car, just in terms of what I had seen from him uh, in the past. But you're exactly right. In that moment, when you are tested by someone who potentially you think shouldn't be testing you, because I'll be honest with you, both the Kosi brothers' competition is pretty garbage. That doesn't mean that they're bad, but it doesn't answer necessarily all the questions he would like to have answered coming into a matchup like this. So I, I had high hopes for Matt Dixon and I do think, I do think he has what it takes. Maybe that's another person that we could see back potentially. Um, I think he's very, very close, but I don't know if I do think that's the thing you can fix. It's a more difficult thing to fix than technique though, because you gotta, you gotta find that place where you 
dig down and you say, screw it, this is not going to be taken from me, which is exactly what Orion did. Cardio is the hardest thing to build, in my view. One, it's partly genetic. But two, it goes away quickly, and the only way to get it back is to suffer. That's it. That's the only way to get it back. And so I just think a lot of guys who are as athletically gifted as Matt Dixon, they're not used to putting themselves there because they haven't had to. But maybe this one will serve as a lesson. You know, I think a guy like that also seems pretty smart too, right? Agree. I think, I think he's very intelligent. I think he's with um, a pretty good team. But you're right. You got to become friends with suffering. <laughs> I think that's a really, I think you put it in a really good way. You got to, you, you have to become friends with suffering and I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe he just, maybe he just has to have a few more fights where he's, he's put in those positions where he doesn't want to be, uh, to be able to find that, that piece inside himself where he gets gritty and he gets dirty and he gets mean. He's right, very so pretty. Most... I will say that. Yeah, he certainly is. I'm, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a moment and I'm trying very uh, man. <laughs> believe me, my trousers were around my ankles as well, and I'm heterosexual, so I could understand that. Uh, shot, the, the most impressive fighter, the most impressive fighter that night to me by far, Cheyenne. I guess her last name is it's spelled Bies, but it's pronounced Bays. Yeah, I think. Wow, yep. what a yep. what a dynamo she is. And here's why she was so impressive to me. You can tell there were parts of her game she's still a little bit green about in terms of decision making and whatnot, but she was Dana was right. She is mean, she is talented, she is well-rounded, she deals with pressure very well. Hillary Rose looked to me to be pretty talented as well and she was totally overmatched. For me, Cheyenne was the star last night. I wonder how you feel about it. Agree. I loved, I loved every moment of that fight. And I had seen her fight in Invictus, but she lost her fight in Invictus. But even in that loss, I, I, I saw some things that, that were pretty, pretty promising and pretty exciting. So to be honest with you, when I first got this card, I didn't put two and two together because she wasn't married then and had a different last name. And then when I finally saw the pictures, I thought, oh, this is fantastic. I think this is going to be a really fun fight. And it certainly did not disappoint. She's been doing martial arts her entire life, and you can tell. I mean, she's got the, the speed of the Taekwondo kick. She's got nice footwork, pressure, aggression. I really liked her cage work. She looks good on the ground. I mean, there really there was a foundation in every aspect of MMA that you would like to see. And then on top of it, like you said, she's got a little bit of a mean streak. She's got a little bit of that grit. My favorite part of the whole fight was when she said, get the fuck up, but then apologize for it. Hmm. Uh, all right, we're up against the break here. So, so very, very quickly, the main event: Lewis Kosi defeating Victor Reina. Listen, Kosi, the 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 Lewis one, he's obviously pretty talented. But Dana picked up on something that I picked up on, which is if you've got a bunch of first round finishes, you're obviously talented. And I'm not saying Victor Reina is a chump, but it's the same thing I said before. Someone is eventually going to put it on you in the UFC, and that's the wrong way to find out what happens to you when someone does do that. I, I, I'm not saying he didn't deserve a contract, but to me, the other brother is a little bit more proven at this stage. Yeah, it's interesting. They train at different places because Lewis has um, a son. And so Lewis is still back in Humboldt County, California. And man, their backstory is ridiculous. I wish I could have spent more time talking about it. But so Lewis is actually back uh, still on the Yurok Nation Reservation training there with Lost Boys BJJ. And uh, Orion is a team alpha male. So I hope that now that he's in the big leagues, he'll do his camps at Team Alpha Male um, or maybe, uh, you know, another, another camp where he can get really, really good instruction and be better prepared for the situation that you just described because it's going to happen at some point and it's going to happen in the UFC for sure. Well, no doubt about it. Uh, enjoy the rest of your time at home. We'll see you for episode four. Great job as always, Laura. Appreciate your time and insight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Keep your trousers up. I will do my best. There she is, Laura Senko. Appreciate her time. It is Wednesday, which means it's mailbag day, which means we're going to get to the mailbag next. Dan Patrick Radio is Sirius XM's home for Australian rules football. Walked into all styles. Australian media icon Eddie Maguire for Aussie Football Rules America as he brings you the latest celebrity chats, tips and expert analysis of Australian football. Then stay tuned for the Aussie Rules Game of the Week. Kick the goal and 
Fremantle win it after the siren. It all starts Thursday at 6pm Eastern on Dan Patrick Radio, Channel 211 and the Sirius XM app. Mail time. Mail time. Mail here. Have a question about MMA, sports, entertainment, or life in general? If people just came to me for the answers, the world would be a better place. Email Luke at LukeThomasShow at gmail.com and get the answers to all those burning questions during the Luke Thomas Show Midweek Mailbag. Luke Thomas Show, we're back. Before we start the mailbag, you should know the 2020 Sirius XM NFL Radio Training Camp Tour stops in Tampa for a look at the new Bucks when Jim Miller and Pat Kerwin check in on Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, and more. Today, excuse me, today at 3 Eastern only on Sirius XM NFL Radio, Channel 88. I will listen anytime on the Sirius XM app. Okay. Ooh, I got allergies today, boy. Uh, okay, Be- uh, Cobb is back from vacation. He smells like the inside of a whiskey bottle, but that is okay. <sighs> Excuse me. And I have allergies that make me look like I have COVID, but they're just allergies. Nevertheless, Cobb, we sojourn on and forward. Let's get to the first question in the mailbag. Good, sir. Mail, motherfucker. All right, this comes from Aeneas, who says, hey, Luke. In regards to the light heavyweight division, I agree with your points that give it some time to grow beyond John Jones, and there will be fresh matchups, rivalries, etc. I couldn't help but think about Adesanya and his desire to move up to light heavyweight in June 2021. Now that John is gone, I've heard him say he'll fight him at heavyweight. Do you think that June 2021 fight between them is completely gone? Also, for the sake of Izzy being the topic of conversation, let's assume he beats Paulo, then the winner of Rob uh, versus Jared. How do you think Izzy matches up with Jan or Dom? Uh, I think he matches up well with all, anybody at light heavyweight. I don't think, well, by the way, he did a media scrum, which we were so surprisingly not invited to. I, Cobb, I'm, I just can't believe that they wouldn't invite us to an Israel Adesanya scrum, but such as it is. Must have been an oversight, you know? Yeah, you know, I just they're normally so forthcoming with those things. Um Look, in any event, the, the the key is this. First of all, in that scrum, he says, yeah, I'd still go up to heavyweight to fight him. Like, that does not change anything. Also, he made a good point. He was like, oh, Adesanya should step up right now to fight me. You know, and he goes, look at John. It took him a decade in his weight class before he stepped up. You know, he hadn't even defended his title yet. So it's a fair point by Adesanya. Um, still, I wouldn't worry about it. I think if they, listen, if there's a big enough fight, if there's a big enough rivalry, and remember, Adesanya has fought at, heavyweight in his kickboxing career so it's not like he's totally out of his depth in that regard they will find a way to make it you know when that is and how that might look or will it still have value by the time they do it that's a very different question but can they still make it i would not worry about john moving up to heavyweight as a limiting factor i really wouldn't i don't think that's going to be the issue again and as for anybody else at 205 pounds i think adesanya can beat any of them to be honest, not to say that he will, but I think he's competitive with anybody in the top five of 205 pounds. And without, you know, I don't know how that's very debatable. Next message. All right. This comes from Jason from Tacoma who says, Hey Luke, two brothers from the contender series, both earned UFC contracts last night because they're brothers. Should the UFC promote them differently than if they were a newly single signed fighter? And has there ever been a case in MMA where two brothers fought each other in an MMA bout before. I know there was talk of Ken versus Frank Shamrock fight, but it never got made. So you had the two brothers. Um, who was Cobb? Remember the guys in World Series of Fighting? One was the former UFC fighter, and one was the guy who thought he was Batman on the streets. Remember that? Uh, was it Phoenix Jones? Is that what his name was? Phoenix Jones. Yeah, that was, that was his, his alias. But uh, he ended up fighting his brother in World Series of Fighting which he later came on the show to describe how traumatic that was. And we all felt gross and horrible about it. I do recall that. Um, so it has happened, but uh, you've had other sort of brother tandems compete. Uh, Matt Hughes has a brother, Mark, who was, you know, not nearly as good, but pretty good. The Nogueira brothers were both pretty good, right? Um, so that's an example. And there's been some other ones as well, but uh, the only brother versus brother fight that I know of on a high level, because I'm certain that it's happened on the regional scene, probably more than we care to admit, was that Phoenix Jones. What was that? You know what? I want to look this up. The Phoenix Jones one. Because now it's bothering me. Phoenix Jones. 
Cobb, do you remember that when he came on the show and talked about how traumatic it was that it, like he had torn his family apart and all that stuff? Do you remember that? I I don't know if I was on the show that day or I, I, even at that point. I'm no. Not sure. Carlos Fordor was the was his brother. You remember that Carlos Fordor and he fought and uh, he lost to him via unanimous decision. This was in July of 2016. Were you working here at that time? 2016, I think I was, but I might have been scattered all over the place at that point. Yeah, hard to know. Anyway, they fought, and it was awful. And that's something that I was like, oh, how big of a deal could it be? Well, it turns out pretty big, especially when you already have, like, various family fractures, and then fighting someone splits them wide open. It's just awful. So, you know, fight game is gross if you let it be, and we did, and that's a great example of it. So there you go. Next. Answer my question! All right, this comes from Dustin. I, I remember seeing this email, but we just didn't have time to get to it. He says, hey, Luke, on a recent live chat, you responded to one of my questions about wanting to send you a custom Verdum face mask that I had made. I've been trying to get oh, them out to members of yeah, I've been trying to get them out to members of the me- MMA media that I follow and respect. Uh, you said to the email, which I did. I haven't heard back. I only have one left. And to be completely honest, you were my number one mark. If you are still interested, please let me know so I could ship it out. And he uh, attached two photos because he sent them out to john morgan and danny segura i will share my screen yeah. one moment if you'll bear with me i've seen it i've seen it <coughs> yeah i've seen it yeah yeah here's the thing i don't want one is that okay for me to say is that okay for me I to say i don't want one i thought i wanted one and then i was like you know verdum is kind of a weirdo and he's really an outstanding fighter but he's kind of a weirdo and yeah i'm just not that guy i'm not the guy who has silly fun Cobb. you know what i mean it just doesn't work for me yeah, you're not very whimsical. <laughs> no, that's not my thing. And, you know, it's, I'm not here to say being whimsical is bad. It just doesn't work for your boy. So that's that, unfortunately. Uh, next. Mail, motherfucker. All right, we got some uh, looking for some life advice here. Uh, this comes from Carla, who says, hey, Luke, I have recently moved to Austin, Texas, and currently work in hospitality as a sales manager. My question mm-hmm. is how or where would be a good start to look in order to transition into the sports industry? I have always had a strong passion for sports and feel now is the time to keep an eye out for any opportunities. Any advice is welcomed. Why would now be an opportunity, Cobb? I don't know. Are sports desperate to get people inside now? To their front offices and stuff. Uh, like, is that what she's sort of referring to? She wants to work in a front office. It doesn't specifically say that, but it just—I I imagine that you know, working as a sales manager. I don't—I don't know. I, I imagine you'd be looking for a front office job. What would you say to this person, Cobb? Because people ask me stuff like this all the time, and I always try to be like, "How did you get into sports?" And I'm like, in a way that I would never recommend to anybody else. That I mean, I don't know how to answer that question. Like, I've had a friend who worked in the Caps front office, and now he works, I think, for the um, Carolina Panthers. I think he works in the Panthers front office. He was a scout, actually, but then somehow transitioned to some other role in the front office. I'm not entirely certain what he does anymore. But uh, I've seen that. That that worked out okay. But I don't know, man. I, I, um, I honestly don't know how you get into the ground floor. MMA is easier, or combat sports in general, because there are a lot less uh, sort of prohibitive rules. Like, for example, if you wanted to be an agent in the NFL, you actually have to get certified by the NFLPA. You know, you have to, you have to pass a test and everything like that. Like, there's a, there's a degree of um, oversight to that kind of a thing. But with, uh, you know, with MMA, you can just be any old dumbass and be a manager. So, you know, or for me, you know, how did I get into MMA media? Dude, I just started a website, like... That was it. And then I went over and took over a website from an existing company. And then that company blew up, which means my profile kind of blew up. It's like, how do I, like, what am I supposed to do with that as a way to like replicate success? I don't have the faintest idea. Um, Cobb, I don't want to be mean to this person. They're asking a completely reasonable question, but I legitimately don't know how to answer it. How did you get started in sports? Dude, this this would be my advice. If you're looking to transition, be prepared to start at the bottom and work your way up and do it over years. Because for me, it was, I interned at Sirius XM. Uh, right. I did it for two semesters, then worked a job I hated for like three years, constantly applying to any position I could. Uh, got an entry level you know, job. It wasn't what I was looking for, but it was just my foot in the door. Did that for three years. 
Uh, I think I interviewed once for Fight Nation because I was a passionate MMA fan. I thought I could really help out there. Didn't get it. A year later, another position opened up. I interviewed again, got it. Worked part-time, I think, for another two years, so two and a half years. Finally got full-time, and you know, here I am. But that's like a six-year, eight-year path <laughs> to, to getting here. So just be prepared to you know, start at the bottom, work your way up, say yes to everything they offer you, any projects you can volunteer for to prove your worth, take them. That's the best advice I can give you. Uh, this is never comforting advice. People always want to hear something different, and I completely understand that. I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I understand hearing what we're saying to you and being like, "Well, that doesn't help much." Yeah, it doesn't help much. I'm sorry to tell you that it. Um, it is. Uh, you know, I, I. I don't know what the answer is. Everyone I know who's worked in sports, you know. The pay early on is low and the hours are long and they know a lot of people want to do it because it's like, oh, cool. We get to work for, you know, pick a team. Um, you get to work for the uh, San Jose Sharks or the Dallas Mavericks or whatever. And they really like that. They, you know, I, there seems to be some kind of celebrity when you tell someone you work for a sports team. But um, it's really, really difficult. So. It really depends on what you want to do. Do you want to be media? I've got a little bit more to say about that. You can you know, hit, hit me up and follow up with that. If you want to work in front office, um, I don't really know what the answer is. And if you wanted to work in some kind of representation role, that's a little bit different. The last thing I'd say is if you have something in the hospitality um, industry that you worked, having logistical ability for planning can be valuable, very valuable to um, actually fight promoters. Because if you think about fight promoters, what are they staging all the time? Events. Now, let's imagine we live in a, pan, a pre- or post-pandemic world. When I say events, I don't just mean UFC 253 or Mayweather versus Canelo. What I mean is there are a series of media days that get planned. There are press conferences that get planned. There are fighter workouts that get planned. There are fighter workouts with Latino media that get planned. There are uh, upfronts where you sell advertising that get planned. There's a lot that goes into that. Where if you've got logistical planning skills, and by the way, you know if you speak a couple of languages, particularly uh, Spanish, you can be extremely valuable. But yeah, I, I just need to know a little bit more about what you're looking for and what skills you have. So without that, I am worthless to you. Next. Answer my question. All right, this comes from D. Sanders. We were just talking about D.C. Uh, he says, hey, Luke, D.C. said he won't be fighting unless it's for a title. He knows he won't be getting a title shot anytime soon at heavyweight. Now that John Jones vacated the light heavyweight title, do you think D.C. could move down and fight for that sooner than expected? Would UFC even grant him a title shot at the vacated light heavyweight title? You know, they might. I, people have asked me about that. I, Cobb, what, what, here's my f sense of this. I wonder where you are on this. People are like, oh, John just gave it up, and there's no big name down there, and blah, 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 and maybe he can still win. You know, First of all, I think people are sleeping on Dominic Reyes a little bit. That's the first thing I'd say. And then the second thing I'd say is, um, does he really want to do that? It's like, I'm going to constantly just go where John's not. I mean, at the same point, like, yes, that was what he was originally doing. I'm going to carve my own path independent of John. But if you're going to a weight class that John abandoned, then you're not. Like, going to a weight class John had never been to, right, that seems like you're carving your own path. Following his absence, to me, seems sort of desperate and weird, which isn't to say there's no value to it or that he couldn't do it, but I don't, I don't get the same, I don't know. I, for me, this, I, 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 who knows what he really wants, but I feel like that that would be kind of a step down in a way. What about, where, where, do you agree with that? I 100% agree with that because... Like I said, like this Stipe fight was so important, this third one, because if he would have won, it would have been like, okay, kind of carved his own path at heavyweight. He was already a great heavyweight at strike force. He just completed the way here in the UFC. You start to shed, okay, well, he's the guy who couldn't beat John Jones at light heavyweight, even though no one could beat John Jones at light heavyweight, except for maybe Dominic Reyes. But uh, yeah, if he just went back down again and won a vacated belt, even if he beat one of the guys who wins the vacated belt, uh, yeah, he's a two-time champion, or I guess maybe a three-time champion at light heavy. How would that work? Who? Uh, DC? DC. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I mean, it's something for the resume, but I don't really think it gets too much. Plus, I for, was he 41? I don't think he feels like making that cut again to 205. Yeah, exactly. There's that part as well. So, you know, it, always possible. Never say never, but 
something about that feels a little bit off. Next. Message. All right, this comes from Eduardo from Bolivia who says, uh, hey, Luke, isn't it always easier? Is it, wait, I'm sorry. Isn't it easier to just always believe the fighters when they complain about eye pokes or groin shots and severely punish them when they lie about an eye poke or groin shot than it is to hope the referee sees everything? What does he mean? I think he's saying when a fighter says, I got low blowed or I got punched or, or I got eye poked, better to take their word for it, even if you didn't see it as the referee, than to not do it. No, no, because then I mean, we already have a problem where, if, if you notice this, Cobb, where fighters are kind of calling their own fouls and the referee sort of goes along with it sometimes. I mean, yes, I realize in the case of DC at the end of that third round, Goddard did the opposite. But I've seen a bunch of times where the referee didn't intervene. And then one guy kind of like gets kicked and you can maybe it landed and the guy grabs his jock and then the, then only the referee steps in, you know, kind of this weird thing. So they're almost calling their own fouls. The last thing I would want is like, well, if they call it, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. They will milk that. They will milk that in the worst way possible. Hell no. I don't like that idea at all. Next. Answer my question. All right, this comes from Keith, who says, hey, Luke, now I want to make it clear, Sean O'Malley isn't soft. Anyone who fights for a living isn't soft. <laughs> I love it. They start out like this. That being said. Yeah, but I'm going to call them soft. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, compared to most fighters, he is soft. I, re- I remember watching the fight for the first time. He injured his foot. I would have swore he busted his foot in 10 places, and I remember it wasn't broke. Uh, I believe he was taken out on a stretcher, and now his last granted his last fight granted, we don't know the extent of the injury, but once again, a stretcher to be taken out of the ring is the sugar show soft and lacking the warrior mentality. Okay, so a couple things here. Number one, according to his coach, he begged to not be taken out on the stretcher, and then the medical personnel said it was a requirement. So I'm not going to hold that against him, and I don't think you should either. Also, these performative shows of toughness, like I don't need a stretcher because I'm so tough. You know, these are the, it means nothing to me. Yes, I, there are people who, you know, will fight to the death to not look weak or whatever that's supposed to be in front of others. If you're injured, take the goddamn stretcher. It doesn't mean anything other than what you want it to mean. But okay, so that's not really here or there. The other part, though, is, is he not mentally tough enough? I think you got to be very, very careful with making assessments like that, that all injuries are the same and that how you respond to them is what sets you apart. And to be clear, to be clear, um, I, I am not suggesting that I, I don't know exactly how bad the injury injury is, right, to, to the person's point could be severe it could be not severe um and there is something to be said about how you mentally interpret discomfort right there are tough guys out there that can just do things amidst fatigue and pain and suffering in ways others can't that is true on the other hand and i think this is what this to me is actually the problem god this is where i come down on this The problem that he may actually be up against is not that he is mentally a quitter. I don't really think that that is true, or at least there doesn't appear to be a lot of evidence at this point to conclude that. What there might be, and again, this is the jury still out on this as well, is he might be MMA's Jordan Reed. Cobb, do you remember the tight end for the Skins, or whatever they're called now, the Washington football team, Jordan Reed? Now, he was not as good as Gronkowski out of University of Florida, but dude, when he was healthy, he was one of the best route running tight ends in the sport. He, six foot four, had like a four, five, 40, you know, blazing speed for someone his size, ridiculously good hands. Like when he was healthy, dude, he was amazing, but he had double digit concussions. He got hit in the knees, and he'd be out for two weeks. He got hit in the shoulder, he'd be out for three. Dude just could not stay healthy. And the reason why that is actually worse is because he wanted to play. It wasn't his mind quitting on him. It was his body. Your mind quitting on you, people think, oh, there's nothing you can do about that. Well, yes, some people are going to be tougher than others. You can actually train toughness a little bit. You can. I know that because I, I had it done to me. You know, I've seen it. I've, I've personally experienced it. I know it to be true. You can make people tougher. How much is debatable, but you can do it. 
But if your body doesn't sustain injury well, if you are injury prone, and I do think there is emerging science to um, buttress these points, then you're just boned. And now I know what they're saying. Well, we don't know exactly what the injury is so that we can um, make a determination in that way. Okay, fair enough. Let's sort of see what the what the medical diagnosis becomes. But if he doesn't sustain injury well, or you could be as mentally tough as you want, it doesn't matter. What do, what was your read? I actually haven't talked to you about this, about the Cheeto and Sean O'Malley fight. I don't know, man. You know what's funny? I'm someone who has sprained both ankles. And they're yeah, subject me too. to roll. Me too. They're subject to roll at any like just walking. You know, all it takes is one bad crack in the sidewalk for me to roll them. Um, yep. And I know like once you kind of do damage to that area, especially like even if you break your foot or put contusions in your foot, dude, it's, it's subject to roll and go like crazy on you at any moment. I don't know if that's something he can come back from. He might just have to. I mean, he even had taped up ankles too. That's the crazy part. Like he's trying. So. I mean, the whole thing was a little weird. He tried to stay mobile. He tripped, and Vera just took advantage of it and just beasted him on the ground, landing some big elbows. I, I, I don't know. It might just be something that you have to – and I don't know how you do it either, how you work on not rolling your ankles or falling weird on your feet. Um, yeah, but the whole the whole situation was crazy. It was very weird. It's super weird. I think there's a big question. Yeah, I mean, again, we don't really have enough information to draw one conclusion or the other. I'm a little bit hesitant to say, oh, he just mentally quits. We'll see what the injury load ends up being. Um, but what I do think it might be a problem is if, uh, you know, he just can't he just can't sustain an injury load. You know, some of these guys, their bodies just don't break as easily as others. What if his body just breaks easier? There's nothing you can. There's nothing you can do about that. Sort of like, you know, small adaptations in fight style or blah, blah, blah. But you're just kind of boned. Jordan Reed, when he's healthy, is uber talented. When he's, you know, injured, which is common, it's just an incessant problem. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.